Hey there, Steven. This is Ineash. Hey, Ineash. This is Steven. Steven, you're just Steven today. This is an interesting change. Yeah, it's, uh, hopefully it's not indicative of how my performance will be on the, you know, talking about it, but I couldn't think of anything creative. I'm sure it'll all come to you right after. I toyed with ideas, you know, Solid Snake, you know, the, the secret spy that made it through the the portal or whatever, but the little Cornhuskers patch threw that through, you know? So. Ah, you don't know. Solid Snake could have been raised in Nebraska, right? Yeah, I have no idea. I've never played any of the games, so <laughs> it's distinctly plausible. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them were pretty good. Yeah, I'm familiar with them all. I just never, I think I missed the missed the boat on it, so. It happens. It does. Uh, there's, there's more than a few games that I have missed the boat on. Well, yeah, I mean, then you can't go back and enjoy the classics after like too many years because then they get shitty, but I did I fix my chair, shitty, I think. But it can so. be hard. I shared everyone's pain. I listened to last week's episode and the chair was annoying. So I mm. I cleaned everything, I tightened everything, and I, I lubed up everything. And mm-hmm. it's much better. So huzzah. Yeah, huzzah indeed, sir. I'm glad the chair is cool. Also, I'm assuming it'll be more comfortable for you as well. Yeah, I mean, it was actually surprising, surprisingly annoying like during work too, just sitting there like slamming about while I'm doing nothing. So mm, yeah. But we are doing something now. We are doing our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where we discuss Alexander Wales' up serial, Worth the Candle, available on audiobook and ebook near you, up through chapter 42. Hey, that rhymes. Yes, uh, pick those up on Amazon. We have links. That would be a great thing to do. Also, you can support Alexander Wales directly through his Patreon. Or if you like this show, you can support us directly as well through our Patreon. And uh, we kick back 15% to Alexander Wales. And there is links in the show notes to all those Patreons and various books and things. So that would be great if you could do that. Thanks. If you've never seen the show notes, you're really missing out. Inyash put a lot of work into them. Did I? I mean, I'm telling people you did. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're really missing out if you've never clicked on those show notes, man. I mean, 15 hours a week minimum. Right? Just on, you know, those notes. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of write a little mini story for everybody every (laughs) single week. A very mini story. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, sometimes the shortest ones take the longest to write. Yeah, you got to find, you know, you got to trim a lot, so... Yeah. All right. Well, we have a couple things from the audience. Shall we jump into that? Yeah, let's do it. The first one is from Sharer. Uh, this is from our Discord. Uh, there was actually a bunch of people, Sharer is just the last one that I pulled out, uh, that were agreeing with you that exclusions are complete bullshit and they're bad game design and the DM sucks uh, because of how exclusions work. And Yay. While I would agree, <laughs> I would agree if all this was a game, but you know, this is this is a narrative, and part of any narrative is having an audience. And sure, okay, usually in a game, the audience is the players, but you know, this June is writing a book here that we're reading, and uh and so the audience might be other people than just June, and therefore the fact that the exclusions are so frustrating and so drastically change the game at a uh pivotal moment i think makes for interesting reading even if it is bullshit game design so maybe the dm's objectives are not the same ones that uh most dms share you make a good point and i don't know if i've come off too hard on on the exclusions or not like i feel like the last one was hitting june too hard for overplaying um Mm -hmm. but like overall they're an interesting phenomenon it's fun that they're threatening all the time um and you're right, like if it was a game, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example, but occasionally like a weapon will get nerfed during a patch, right? And it's like, come on, we were all enjoying using this. And was it a little one-sided for us? Sure. But then the devs come in and say, oh no, it's too good. We're going to go ahead and make it less good. Like that, that's always a drag. But, yeah. you know, not only is this but a narrative take- in a story, but this this is also something for June. 
And yeah. if he could just God walk his way through, you know, do the, the Konami code and then uh, just storm through everything, um, it's unlikely he would have the time to learn whatever morals he's supposed to be learning here, right? I think that's a good point. Yeah. And so for for, for Arab to work, whatever Arab's purpose is, um, he can't just like put on the invincibility mode and just go storming through everything. I, yep. I don't know what Felseed can do, but I've got to think if June maxed out all his skills with uh, whatever, a combination of soul scapism and, and all the other shenanigans, um, and then, you know, locked gold magic up as well, uh, I, I think he'd be able to beat him pretty fucking easy, right? So if this is supposed to be some big challenge that, you know, he's facing and it's like, oh, no, actually, I just took the potion of invincibility and uh, <laughs> superpower. So slap. Um, yeah. I, you know, this, this, you're right. Narratively does a great job. And uh, what do you call it? I guess um, Watsonian Lee does a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Diegetically. That's easier to yeah. say somehow than Watsonian Lee. <laughs> uh doilist and watsonian yeah yeah that i guess that would be the term so yep yep yeah uh <laughs> diegetically i mean i guess diegetically you can't really figure out what it means if you don't already know whereas watsonian you can kind of reason yourself into it right yeah totally you get to be a pretentious asshole if you know diegetic <laughs> right that's it i did learn so it from we should always of archer use- so yeah i mean you can find your pretentious assholeness from all sorts of directions that's right Sometimes even, uh, you know, fiction about video game uh, possible therapy. So Exactly. All right. And the second uh, from the audience is from Divinity, also on uh, our Discord, saying, just a minor point of correction. When Inyash was mentioning the genocides, the orcs were done by Uther, but the trolls were genocided by the Second Empire, not Uther. Uh, thank you for the correction. There. It has now been noted. <laughs> Let no one be mistaken. Exactly. This is now no longer my fault if people think the wrong thing. I, I seem to vaguely remember like the story of how the trolls got ex or genocided. I mean, I think it was like an accident or something, right? Or no, they paid I, him or something. Uh, yeah, to to what was it? Like to not breed, like, to, to get sterilized. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And the trolls were like, "Yeah, sure, I'd like twenty bucks." Short term interest, you bet. Yeah, I remember because you and I argued about, you know, should you be allowed to do that? And uh, it's a it's a messy question. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one might say to, to solve it, you'd have to toil endlessly uh, <laughs> one might say that because one, that is the chat name of the next chapter one one could say that if they're really trying to force a segue um i thought it was a pretty good segue they all have to be forced right they do um this doesn't start off with endless toil it's fantastic this gets it starts off with you know you get like a parenthetical about uh some background fact or something and i'm like oh we haven't seen one of these you know in a while and this is like when june's having fun and then we get some june point of view first thing he says I'm bored. And he's just like floating because <laughs> it's something that he gets to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amaryllis, sorry, dear. <laughs> and it was awesome. They're adorable. And, you know, this bored June is, a, you know, to me, a happy June. And mm-hmm. it's when he's at his most like sarcastic and uh, like, but fun sarcasm, you know? Mm-hmm. So this was a nice uh, reprieve from how bummed out he was last chapter. Yeah. He's got a few moments to breathe. Yeah, just it's driving him nuts. He's standing there and he's like, I can't even go help because the the call is more worried about Amarillo stealing gold than them. So I just have to stand or I have to be nearby. And it's it's just it, he, his little complaints are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly right? game, zero out of 10 quest if I ever heard of one. <laughs> As he's floating there, literally being Superman. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, they are talking about Perisev's last words, basically, her her final dialogue with June. And uh, June is, you know, thinking about what she said, and he's like, I have no idea what postmodernism would even mean in terms of tabletop games. If it were about books or games, then it would be metafiction, intertext, navel-gazing, unreliable narrators, experimenting with timeline and chronology, stuff like that. And uh, since Paris have claimed that what we're reading is postmodernist, uh, I was wondering how many of these can we find within Worth the Candle? I think at least 69. Nice. Yeah. Um, I What's great about it is we have all of these, right? I'm um, not sure we have um, experimenting with... Well, no, I guess I they do do it. experimenting with time and chronology with the schlossing of stuff. And flashbacks. And, well, yeah, but that's not really oh, that's normal not experimenting with timeline. Yeah. But that is kind of chronology in that, like, as something new is revealed to us, um, you know, it happened before. And, you know, if we were if we were the character, if we were June, we would have known about it the whole time. But he's revealing it to us out of order, you know? Yeah, but flashbacks are, they're really a standard thing. That's That doesn't have to be postmodernism. Uh, they're, they're pre-postmodern. What he means by, yeah, postmodernism would be things like uh, Catch-22, where the entire book is written out of order, and you piece it together uh, kind of like after the fact. Uh, where, but I, I think that, you know, the Schlosses would probably count because they're like alluding to things that weren't really there, but are there uh, now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if we've seen one yet, but we might not notice, right? How would we know if we've seen one? I mean, I, I would like to think that, you know, I, I almost thought we were being we were being schlossed when they were talking about this portal in the Felsate exclusion zone. And I'm like, y'all mm-hmm. are just talking about this like it's a thing. I thought this was an yeah. idea, floated one. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that might have been it. But then, you know, there was precedent earlier on. So I think if we were, I think if something were like that were to happen... It would just show up in the book. You know, like there's like a new party member and like no one notices the incongruity except for us. Oh, like Mr. Poopy Butthole. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could see that. I, I, my take on it always was that like the the act of writing. See, this doesn't count for a web serial, though, because if you change a web serial, people will notice. But That's exactly what I was generally. Say. Yeah, generally in the act of writing, when you uh when you're done writing, you go back and sometimes you'll change things uh, earlier on. And that is kind of like a schloss because no one ever knows that the entire timeline and the entire world was changed because what the reader sees is the final product, you know? And but, if the characters yeah, were sapient, they wouldn't notice either. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But much harder to do in a web serial. But, you know, if this is written from the perspective of one of the characters and it was very well planned out, then he wouldn't notice the things that got changed. Hmm. Well, we'll see if we can notice one. Um, yes. But I like it. I also don't really know what postmodernism is. My like only exposure to it, I think, is in philosophy, and those people suck, if my memory mm-hmm. serves. Um, <laughs> you get no argument from me on that. I think you get no argument from postmodernists, really, too, because arguments aren't uh, aren't real. So I'm, yeah. I'm being a bit disingenuous, but uh, yeah. But I, only a tiny bit. <laughs> yeah, it's not much. Um, yeah, I uh, I think we get all these ingredients, but I don't, you know. This conversation is uh, really the fun for me. It was just like them having downtime and basically not quite shooting the shit, but um, it's not really consequential. Uh, mm-hmm. Amaryllis does try to think of a test and actually it's pretty good, but that comes later. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, nothing really hangs on this. Yeah. And I think June agrees with you because he asks, like, how does this change anything if if it's true that this is a postmodernist narrative they're in? Uh, some of the things he names off is that narrative might fail at any moment. 
if it's to make a point or to make the point that there is no point. Uh, I think, didn't we discuss about like, if maybe that was the case with uh, Gemma dying? She was the fox lady, right? Yeah. Or possibly the exclusions could be that. You know, or, um, you know, any any unclosed uh, plot that, you know, could have been a thing or something. Like, the thing is, and this is, I think, the key word, narrative might fail at any moment. And it's like, and it could make a point. Or it might make, might might be not making a point. And it's like, okay, so it could, your, your prediction is that it could be anything. <laughs> yes. And so that, that's why I... Uh, and, you know, I don't know if you can do post-postmodern where it's like, I'm aware this is postmodern, so I'm actually going to surprise you by doing it super classically. Um, mm. But I'm sure that's a thing. And if it's not, mm. you know, it, it, it it's, well, it, it could be. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's no, uh, there's, there doesn't seem to be any sense in like speculating about that level of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's mentions- fun and you've got to shoot the shit. You're trying to figure out the nature of your reality. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's at the end of the day. What are you going to go home and do differently? How does this belief pay rent? Exactly. Yeah. That's, um, I still kind of want to go through these, even though you just made the point that this belief doesn't pay rent anyway. No, no, no. They're cool. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Uh, he says, you can tell a story with time all out of whack, but the beginning at the end or the end of the beginning, whatever. Uh, the, I think the really cool thing about this is that if that was the case, the people within the story still wouldn't notice. Like I'm reminded of the first chapter of Permutation City, where someone has, uh, for the very first time, made an emulation of themselves in a computer, right? And so they're playing around with it and seeing how this works. And like they run it for five seconds, and it, he is the person being run, right? So he runs himself for five seconds. He's like, okay, I experienced five seconds. And then he runs himself five times for like one millisecond each time with a a gap of about like one second between each one. And he's like, that's interesting. It felt like I was experiencing that time all the time because like when the one second of processing actually happens, it like backfills memories of him having lived that one second. Otherwise it wouldn't be a good, uh, (laughs) good simulation. Right. And then he has it so that all the five seconds are simulated, but they're simulated in random order. So like the third second is processed first and then the fifth second and then the first second, something like that. Right. And after he runs that, he's like, huh, to me, it felt like I just lived those five seconds chronologically. Because again, at the end of the third second, you would have the memories of being through the first two seconds, even if they hadn't happened yet. And at the end of the first second, you'd only have the memory of having lived through the first second, even if the other ones had been processed before. So uh, that that was a total mindfuck uh, when I first read that. It's a great book, if, no, if you haven't read it yet. And um, yeah, it kind of points out that from someone within the story, they would have no idea if the story's being pulled out of whack or not. That's awesome, man. I haven't read it. And if that's chapter one, you've sold me. I got to check this out. <laughs> yeah. Normally, I wouldn't give spoilers like that. But again, this is the first chapter. Like, it's in the first few pages. Yeah, this is like the kind of science you're going to get, you know, buckle up. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's cool. kind of, in my opinion, existential horror, though. So be ready for that. Hey, uh, I've never tried it. I won't knock it till I've, I've given it a shot. So cool. super into it. Yeah. Uh, he mentions that there's meta text, which he doesn't even bother going into because, again, <laughs> they've been talking about how this is a story since almost chapter one. That, that part is obvious. Well, the the other best part of that is this book is full of meta text. We got some mm-hmm. earlier in the chapter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so definitely passes that test. He says there's been a bit of intertext given how many movies we've watched together and how many books I've read. Uh, so, yeah, fair enough. It passes that test, too. Yeah, we've gotten snippets of the books that he's read. I suppose that counts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I, I I don't really know what postmodern means, but you know, like 
I don't know if anyone ever cracks a book in Lord of the Rings, but I don't think those books are postmodern. No, but I think it's like all these things that he's saying here. And so that's why I was trying to evaluate based on those. Yeah, totally. And then, yeah, at the end, he had things like stream of thought, random events that don't fit the narrative, etc. Playing with expected narrative cycles, which I think we have gotten that. And he says an unreliable narrator. And at first I thought June, June hasn't shown us that he's an unreliable narrator at all. But then I remembered there was the chapter that he wrote from Amaryllis's point of view. And then while we were in the chapter, he wrote, I don't actually know how much of this is true. <laughs> uh, I'm extrapolating a lot. I'm like, okay, so he's basically coming out and saying, even though I'm narrating this chapter, I am unreliable. So, uh, okay, fair enough. You know what? That's actually that's awesome. Not the, yeah, it's not the traditional unreliable narrator, but it's, it's yeah. Yeah, unreliable narrator was a term I was exposed to when I read Worm. And, you know, I don't know exactly if, if the protagonist fits that. I think that there's a always a level of like protagonist goggles, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, whether the narr- whether the narrator slash protagonist is being unreliable or not, like you're kind of always on their side. Mm-hmm. Um certainly, you know, sitting behind them while they do the story. So like you're you're getting it from their point of view. But then they then it's like, all right, well, are they twisting things the way like a really biased person might relay you know an argument that they had to you or something right yeah and it's I like think okay. the most classic case of an unreliable narrator is when like the narrator is literally lying to the audience and telling them things that didn't happen uh even in like in the world of the story which i don't know i didn't read worm for very long so i don't know if that's the case i think unreliable mm. narrator may be overused a bit for people just to say you know this person thinks they're the hero because everyone does of their own life and so things are portrayed in a way that others might not agree with, but I wouldn't necessarily always consider that an unreliable narrator. That's just people being people when they tell their story. Okay, good. Yeah. Cause I, I thought that that seemed like it would kind of, it seemed like general enough to basically include everybody. Right. Cause you're always behind mm-hmm. the protagonist. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as I know, uh, I mean, how would you ever find out that they lied? I, I mean, <laughs> that that's kind of one of the things of the postmodernism, right? Like you find out later in the story that even though the story says so-and-so died, like three chapters later, so-and-so shows up and you're like, wait a minute. I, I read on the page when, the, when he died and now he, he didn't die? What the fuck? Is this bad writing? Um, <laughs> yeah. like, that sounds like they just, you know, forgot that they killed that character, forgot to cut them from later edits, you know? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that sounds like a drag, but June claims not to be a narrator. Um, no, he's, he's claimed to be a narrator at least. Oh yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This is a really crazy thing. I love it so uh, much. He says, uh, to Emerilis, he says, but I'm also not a narrator. And then just, you know, not out loud, but to us, he says, to my knowledge anyway. And I'm like, dude, you literally told us like a hundred chapters back that you were narrating this book to us. So what, what the fuck are you, are you doing here saying that you're not a narrator? Well, and also he is narrating in that sentence. Yeah. Like that's, I think that might be one of the most like meta like lines from the, from the book, you know, oh, I'm not a narrator. And then thanks to himself and, you know, on the page to my knowledge anyway. And it's like, <laughs> okay, so someone else's knowledge, you're a narrator. Uh, but no, it's just like, uh, I, I don't quite know how to articulate that, but that, that hit me like spot on. I thought that was hilarious. And expertly executed yeah am i I am i overhyped on that like it sounds like he's narrating when he you know italicized it whatever Mm -hmm. italically thinks that to himself um i mean i could i could imagine saying that to someone you know if i were talking to you i'd be like yeah but i'm also not a narrator and then i just think to myself you know at least not to my knowledge so to me that passed the sniff test but 
more along the lines that we, like I said, again, several a hundred chapters or so ago, when he was writing from Amaryllis' point of view, he literally told us that he's narrating this, making a bunch of guesses, and after interviewing her and stuff. So yeah, th- th- when this when this was written by June in the future, maybe he's saying that him at the time did not know that, but obviously the person who's putting these words down on the page does know that. So. Like, maybe if it said, to my knowledge, anyway, at the time, that would make more sense. Well, but most of this book isn't, like, in past tense. Um, and so, he's thinking at the time, to my knowledge. And to me, what, what makes it hilarious, and, well, like, again, delightful, is that, mm-hmm. you're right, you and I can can say that and then have that thought. But the thought doesn't show up on the page, because there's no right. page, right? Yes. And so, he, he is narrating in that sentence that he's being mm-hmm. honest there. And then Amaryllis was like, well, are you? What, an unreliable narrator? I mean, I haven't lied to you, except those times I did. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. So I don't know if he's lied to us. Um, You know, again, I don't quite know how I would know. Um, You know, the the closest I could find, if I'm thinking about it right now, like that he might have lied to us, you know, could be with his feelings about Arthur or like his the way he framed thinking about him after he died, right? Mm, yeah but i think he's even been open with the fact that like yeah you know in those contexts you can kind of just forget all the bad stuff about a person right yeah so i think he's he's it's not even unreliable if he points out that like yeah i'm probably biased here uh, yeah so i think that works that's a good point anyway i it's also just like a funny little laugh well you know i always love the things where it's like it worked great until it didn't yeah i haven't exactly. lied to you except the times i've lied um <laughs> <laughs> such a great great aside um so yeah he then talks about his current situation and how it also uh, applied to him when he was young uh when he was a kid he said i had this knowledge that the world was horrible that despite appearances i was one of the lucky ones it was this feeling of hopelessness and helplessness i just wanted to pull that out because i mean i i think both of us have felt that in our past and is this is a thing that's pretty common in um rationalists and effective altruists uh it's called scrupulosity and it really sucks i've heard that it's a depression thing but i don't know i guess i don't know very much about the inner workings of depression and how it interplays with scrupulosity so just just that sucks and it's common and so it's nice that it isn't a rationalist work because it's representative of us right i think so i mean i haven't heard the term scrupulosity before um it's interesting because even he talks about like well, maybe I was just gearing my depression in that direction to kind of like anchor it away from my problems. And so I think a handful of times in this chapter, I was like, oh man, that is spoken like a person with, you know, a high wisdom score. Because you're right, depression is like a thing is more common amongst the better educated. I don't want to say smarter, um, <laughs> you know, because then you and I can frown and give each other high fives for both having clinical depression. Um, yeah. But I think I at least I've heard that. Um, what do I know? It's hard to say if that's a cause or a symptom of depression, right? Right. Like, yeah. happy people know this as a fact, too. And mm-hmm. they're just like, yeah, you know, it sucks. And for the most part, I'm a happy person. Well, mostly. Yeah, the world's full of suffering. And you kind of just like, well, yeah, that part does suck. And you do what you can. And you try not to let it bog you down, right? That's kind of yeah. actually the next thing they say. <laughs> yep. Do what you can, then you move on and uh, try not to look at it and the horrors that can never be undone. I guess. Yeah, I, I was going to ask if you had any advice you'd offer but uh it sounds like you just did and it was basically the same thing june said yeah i think uh actually i think amaryllis tells him that because he's uh or i can't remember actually who said that but the only i guess if i had to caveat that advice would be 
occasionally glance at the horrors that can never be undone because maybe you missed something and they, something can be undone, right? Mm-hmm. You know, malaria was this terrible thing that ravaged the planet for all of history right up until like two years from now. Yeah. And then it won't be a thing anymore. So, um, yep. you know, you can Small solve some of was similar. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you can solve some of the unsolvable problems. But yeah, for the most part, just don't don't let it bog you down. You know, it. I think I put this. I don't actually remember where this, my notes did the discombobulate thing again. Either Emerilus is stressed, or maybe it's about this conversation. But I was like, doesn't Emerilus's you know favorite new book tell her like about having the serenity to accept the things that she cannot change? That Bible quote, or is that just a religious quote? Oh yeah, no, that's that's just a quote. That's not from the Bible. Oh okay. Well, she's probably still came across it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The what power to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference? Uh, something like that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty like darn that. close. That sounds that, honestly. That sounds like a tattoo Emerilus would get. Like <laughs> that was probably like on you know in book one or year one of her like schooling. You know, don't don't burn all oh, your energy say, trying to solve an impossible problem. Um, but don't yeah. be an idiot and misdiagnose impossible problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, and part of it, as June was saying, was just even the idea of all the people who have died of malaria or even just you know been made miserable by malaria and smallpox like you can never remove that misery from the past and uh and that sucks and i guess that's just like just don't dwell on it man because sure it sucked and what are you gonna do maybe think about all the great things that also happened yeah i mean there's you know there's love and i mean puppies Puppies. in the world yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, exactly amaryllis puts it nicely she says you know Yes, everything's there's a lot of terrible shit, but I also see that we can help suffering that we can remove from the world, concrete ways that we can improve conditions. It might be meaningless given that we're planning on jumping to the end, but that's not a bet I'm willing to take. And in the worst case, we'll have wasted a bit of effort trying to help people. And like that's a solid, you know, that's that's not even like a coldly calculating, you know, Slytherin thing. That's just like a perfectly wholesome everybody should take that advice all the time kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it seems seems to me just taking on too much responsibility is bad because you start feeling terrible for everything you can't do and then you don't even do what you can to help the people you can help like most people can help a few people around them in their lives and that's what they should focus on because that's that is what you can do yeah and if everybody focused on just the people around them that they could help that would be enough to make the world much better and if everybody instead was paralyzed because of how they can't help everyone and how terrible everything is that'd make the world much worse so start being part of the solution and not part of the problem yeah, there's a there's a formal name for that where it's like, well, I can't solve it, so why even you know throw a bucket into the ocean? Um, I yeah. I 100 agree. You know, if all you can do, you know, it's not even like whatever throwing money at you know the third world. It's like no, you can you can pull over and help somebody you know whose whose car is stuck. You know, you can um, whatever you know the little kindnesses and those things yeah. carry forward and you know make the world a better place on their own. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I think it's really easy to focus on the good stuff and, you know, not pretend the bad stuff isn't there, but don't let it bog you down. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, they get to talking and it turns out that June does not know the details behind nine uh, eleven and uh, what went down there when, um, when Amaryllis says, when has propping up the Mujahideen ever backfired? And uh, June's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And at first I was kind of surprised, but then like, also, I guess if he was 17 in 2017, then he was too young to be aware of what was happening in the world when 9-11 happened. So I think we can cut him a whole heck of a lot of slack right there. And maybe Amarillo should too. (laughs) I mean, I hope they all cut me slack too. Uh, I also don't know, uh, or I didn't know about that. 
I, I, you know, I highlighted the term and Googled it when I was reading. I was like, all right, is this a book thing or is this a me thing? Um, mm. And uh, no, I, I, you know, I, I'd heard something about that, but I guess, you know, I never looked into it that much. You know, I'm going to go ahead and blame, uh, let's blame the U.S. education system for not, you know, I'm- in October of 2021 or 2001, explaining our involvement in it. Um, yeah. But I like the. Hold on a second. You are you're almost 10 years younger than me, right? Yes. I was born so, in 89. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you would have still been pretty damned young at the time. So, I don't think you can be blamed for it either. No, but I had a lot of time after the fact to become familiar with it. But. Uh, yeah, but after that, then people were like, "Oh yeah, don't don't look at the past because that would make us look bad." Just remember, Saddam Hussein's a really bad dude, and we're gonna go punch him. Well, except for even um, like, so Greg is like, "Didn't your father go to war in the Middle East?" And Jim's like, <laughs> "Yeah, he did." But let's not get bogged down in about a few gaps in my knowledge. And Raven, right. wait, don't you literally have an entire expression about that event? Never forget. And and I was like, "Oh yeah, right. Always never forget that." Uh, yes, but that's more of an expression than a thing we're actually supposed to remember. Right? Is it? Is that about nine eleven? I thought Never Forget was about the Holocaust. Uh, you know, I it probably was about the Holocaust and then taken for nine eleven. Sounds about right. Yeah, I, we could probably Google it, but I'm sure I'm sure it'll come up on both. I'm like, okay, I, I am as out of the loop as June is on this, and I don't mind being called out. You know, Emerilis slash Alexander are smart people, so yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I, I never, I never bought bought the book. Inyash, what was I supposed to do? They didn't tell me in school watched... for free. What was I supposed to do? <laughs> and you never watched Rambo three, so you know. No, I didn't. I haven't seen any of the Rambos. <laughs> it was the Rambo three was a ridiculously bad movie. Like, I guess fun if you like really cheesy eighties action movies, but it, it was not good. I can dig cheesy eighties action as long as it knows how, like, it knows what it is. I'm pretty sure the third Rambo, well, I don't know, because at the end of the movie, it says it's dedicated to the brave resistance fighters of the Mujahideen, god damn it, Mujahideen in uh, in Afghanistan. God, I couldn't say that word to save my life. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, I'm just thinking like the movie uh, Commando, and that was yeah. maybe why I haven't seen any of the Rambos, because I haven't seen really any of the Stallone movies, because Arnold Schwarzenegger was my <laughs> 80s action star. And because Commando was just that taken up to 11, so you don't need to see the other ones once you've seen Commando. Well, and the best thing is, is like, I don't think the movie took itself seriously at all. It yeah. was it was fucking ridiculous. You know, he takes his shirt mm-hmm. off for the big final, you know, gunfight. And it's like, of course, <laughs> well, he's not going to put weren't on... Gonna st- <laughs> right, they're going to bounce off his <laughs> glistening chest. <laughs> his shirt wasn't going to stop those bullets anyway. No, I mean, you know, he could have found some armor or something, but no, you know, we got we to gotta paint and oil him, so... Moving forward, the last thing I have out of this chapter is that uh, June said if he was, uh, they're talking about um, Captain Blue in the bottle at this point uh, and how shitty this situation is. And it's just a logistic nightmare and a humanitarian nightmare. And uh, Amaryllis is like, well, if you were doing this, why would you have done this to you? And June says, look, if this was me and I put my players in a situation like this, it would probably be because I was in a bad mood or in a funk or something like that. And if I was aware of that, I would go along with whatever solution the players thought up as long as it wasn't shit, because I wouldn't want to mire them in depressing reality for too long. And uh, basically saying, like, I don't know. I would have done this to people if I was in a shit mood and was being an asshole. Uh, And I think this is evidence that the DM isn't June or at the very least, like, isn't exactly June. Maybe like June far in the future, possibly or something, because like. I get the impression that this DM has something specific in mind with Captain Blue in the bottle. 
that he's trying to teach June, like about reality being complex and messy, and you just can't kill a bad guy and get good results or something. And uh, June, you know, obviously hasn't internalized that lesson, so he can't imagine teaching it. But I don't think the DM just did it because he was in a shit mood and wanted to rub June's nose in something. He was a uh, he was trying to do something here, and June can't see what it is. You know, it's interesting that this is brought up after the discussion of the Mujahideen. Um, you know, because then you walk in and you knock out the dictator, and like, oh no, things got worse. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I I agree that the the DM probably definitely isn't June as he was when he got here, right? Because um, mm-hmm. that that June didn't have the whatever desire slash personality to like want to solve problems. Um, but you know, I think that. You know, Amaryllis is asking, you know, what would you do? Um, you know, like, like, so he gave his reply of like, well, if I was doing it, I was being a bad mood. But like, let's be real. If if June threw this at one of the parties he was DMing and they ran in and killed Blue in the Bottle and then they're like partying at the tavern that night, that's when he had tell them, you know, <laughs> somebody, By the way. yes, no, somebody like would come busting in through the thing and be like, oh my God, I just, I just escaped the necro, whatever zombie exclusion zone. And yeah. all these, you know, the kids are all starving. There's no way we can get to them in time. And like, mm. you know, that, that's, that's what would happen. Right. That's true. He would have made it even worse. Yeah. He would have kicked him in the balls, like after they were down or, you know, uh, the problem would just be intractable before they could, before they could kill, uh, the captain like it's uh there wouldn't be i don't know some long political solution to it if june was being a negative you know um i guess whatever wet blanket right mm-hmm. now i don't know yeah. how often he was actually doing that but probably once in a while so yeah so again good evidence that this isn't the dm just being a dick yeah agreed um the last thing that happens in the chapter is he says that uh you know look let's let's i mean he goes like it's like a long paragraph but at the end he says uh Let's put off some of this conversation until later because there are things we need to do right now. And the conversation, you know, will be available to us in a while, basically. And he gets a loyalty increase from Amaryllis and Raven. Um, Raven hit five, Amaryllis hit 27. And I only bring that up because I think we're going to get a level 30 companion perk before the end of the story. And I'm really hoping Raven gets a level 10 perk. That would be awesome. Oh, wait, level 10 isn't like the exciting one, is it? It's just like... No. It's the uh, yeah. the point sharing. Yeah, so yeah whatever and raven's a standard humanoid so i think it would just be point sharing but it'd still be nice and she well she's already got the thing that like when people around her get stronger she gets some of that right oh yeah she does she has an entad that does that for her yeah so forget her loyalty level and cares what happens with amaryllis <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's gonna be something good something, something good. that's better than having a house that's made out of a glass yeah it'd have to be oh <laughs> uh, because that's the name of the next chapter that's right it was it was perfect um so he it's june in conversation with uh i guess a panel of the tongue yes because they want to set up the next generation to be raised up by uh by the current tongue and he invites and, eswin to come just to bum him out so bum her and him yeah. out, i guess yeah and she's she's obviously regretting this i guess yeah it's i think i made a case about like well she kind of got what she wanted but then i'm you know i'm seeing more of how this is shaking out and i was like oh wait no she's not whatsoever this it's kind of a huge drag. Um, you know, good for the world, bad for her. You know, it's, it's a trade-off. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I mean, she isn't getting like screwed, I don't think. It's- I mean, she wanted her people and culture to have a better life. And, you know, what they got instead was they get to be, you know, not exactly whatever outputs of the propaganda machine that Emerald has put together, but basically that, you know? 
Okay, so she did get screwed, but at least she doesn't have to live in the culture that she hated, because that would have been even worse, right? She got off that train car. Yeah, exactly. She didn't have to go into uh, whatever... I don't know the name of any of the places in The Handmaid's Tale, but I was going to say something referencing that, but I don't have the vocab because I haven't seen the show or read the book, so uh, now I sound really dumb. (laughs) No, that's good. I haven't read it either. I mean, you know... We'll have, we'll have to push through because these might be the end of time. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. June was like, if this doesn't work out, things could get even worse. It's a huge investment. And so Liam, one of the tongue asks him, do you believe that these are the end times? Which is a line I certainly recognize because uh, when I was a Jehovah's Witness, we would often be saying this to people as we went from door to door. Uh, yeah. Amaryllis is created a christian society in her own image and not just any christians but millennialists which is which is even worse i I don't know if i'm quite as on board with amaryllis guiding civilizations now although um i guess it's too late and she does seem to have been doing okay but this is just a big big red flag for me yeah an end of days cult uh what's a millennialist Mm -hmm. in particular Uh, basically uh, christians who believe that the end times are near huh I mean, millennia, I guess, is a long span of time, but, uh, you know, some things don't make sense with their naming. But, um, you know, the drag, though, and this is this is the rub with, like, basically everything with Amaryllis and her religious leanings is that she's right. So, yeah. like, yes, she started a doomsday cult, but, like, the days really are doomy. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, if, if it seems like June is getting close to the end, and if he wins, the whole world is going to be completely overturned. So... So she's not wrong. And if he loses, they're probably all going to die. just an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can't even say it's like a a bad move. You know, you you want a dedicated doomsday cult if it's actually the end times, you know? Yeah, you're right. And it is actually the end times. So so everything is correct and proper here. I guess it's just my own own history, like, squicking me out about this, but... But in all objectivity, if it is the actual end times doomsday, having a dedicated doomsday cult that knows this and acknowledges it is correct. And we should all want to be in that cult. You, I mean, you know, I, and I don't even have your background, but I have a similar squigginess to it. But uh, it's for me, I don't know if it, I guess it does make it technically better because she's right. But it just it feels like it might be worse. But it's not. It is actually better. Mm. And it's like, just because you're right doesn't actually make this better. It, if, it just makes it like it, make, it makes it more annoying because you're vindicated by reality. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a thing. I every time we every interaction we've had at the tomb, they're like well-educated, articulate. And I mentioned that like that makes me uneasy with my army of mindless stormtroopers. Um, mm-hmm. So they're not that, you know, they're, they're trained medics and mages and whatever. They seem to have a fervent level of devotion that I think is impossible without some amount of immoral indoctrination. I guess I don't know if is it immoral indoctrination if it's actually correct. I guess not. But I would I would say no. Yeah, but it's being feels, actually correct covers actually, many sins. Yeah, I, th- I think it I think it does get you out of that pretty quick. But it still feels like a propagandist hellhole, even mm. if it's a propagandist like well, it's still a hellhole. But they they're being honest about it. Right, so it's not a propagandist hellhole; it's a correct map of the territory hellhole. But you put in like just enough like devotion to your dear leaders, so that they'll basically unquestionably follow Amaryllis's orders. Yes, which they should because she's smart. But 
because the end times are upon us. (laughs) Every dear leader thinks that about themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I I think this is like one of those situations where Amaryllis is right, but in any other situation, I would not want Amaryllis near power. She happened to be the right man for the job this time. And I guess I mean man in the gender neutral sense. Of course, the right dude. Um, Yes. You know, it... I get the impression that pre her being thrown out of that airplane, she was like, whatever, busy running her life, you know, like mm-hmm. working at the Future for Humanity Institute or whatever her main job was. I don't mm-hmm. think she had, I don't think she had ambitions to be like God Empress of the entire, you know, multi-plane universe. Yeah. But, you know, then your scope changes when you meet this cool dude. So. And when someone throws you out of a fucking airplane. Exactly. <laughs> I would alter my life view quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely have some new priorities after that. Uh, yeah. All right. I, I had some mixed feelings about Val showing back up. Okay. Why is that? Uh, so I'm happy to see her. She's funny. You know, they have that great thing about puns. Um, but she's like, oh, Juniper, and comes running up with a hug and Valencia. And I it just like, you know, oh, yeah. Didn't you like just fuck off like a few weeks ago with the psycho murder house and, you know, disappear and barely write to us? I don't know. It just felt like a. I don't know. Her her everything in this felt like she was wearing devil glasses. And hmm. uh it, you are extremely suspicious of Valencia at all times. Maybe she's gotten like better um at being adept at things without them, but we know that she's from her POV chapter that she was doing it all the time when she was with Bethel, even when she wasn't, right? When she was out on her own. Yes. So she but hasn't been she, she hasn't been it. practicing being Val by herself, you know. That's true, I guess. I don't know. It just I also just feel like this is the person that, you know, ran off with your assailant and to fix her though. Yeah, but you know, ran off without, you know, you, you know, without consulting the group. It just, you know, it was a weird departure. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, "Oh, hey, I'm back from, you know, summer camp. Good to see you." Um, I don't know. But that said, mm-hmm. I'm glad she's here. She's really funny. She's awesome. Uh really like reminds us like, "Oh yeah, we need to get the party back together because we're all stronger here as a team." You know, once June and Grack and Amaryllis all got so powerful, it was kind of easy to forget what Grack and Val, or excuse me, what um, Bethel and Val brought to the table. Mm-hmm. I realized I didn't put Raven on either of those lists, but she's the same level of powerful she's been the whole time. So she has been and continues to be badass. The social skills and the puns. So yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I've always been a bit more forgiving of, of Val than you have. She just seems to have her heart in the right place. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think it was more it's like I was surprised that June didn't associate her with Bethel stuff, right? Okay. Yeah. You know, you've been you've been off with her this whole time. You've been living with her, doing God knows what, because I don't know how much she's relayed back to them. Well, I, I mean I, I thought he'd be a little uncomfortable. Didn't she write them letters? I mean, I we didn't we only saw the one on screen, but I I believe that she wrote them letters like every day or every couple days, right? Oh. Um if she really did keep them that looped in, then I feel better about it. Uh, I believe, like, because she, she said she sat down when the one chapter we got from her to write her daily letter to Amaryllis, but oh, maybe it wasn't yeah. daily, though. Maybe it was, like, every few days. No, you're right. It, it did. It was a regular occurrence. It wasn't like we would they would sporadically hear from her every couple of weeks or something. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, any sort of hang-ups he's had, he's had plenty of time to work through. It's not like suddenly she's back. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm feeling better and- about it. And also, they were obviously um, removed from the story by the DM for very good narrative reasons, because as she says, I would have completely solved the entire Anglican arc in about two hours. And uh, yeah, that would have made it a very unsatisfying arc <laughs> if she just walks in, solves everything in a few paragraphs, and then we're done. 
instead of having the cool ass onion fight and everything else that went down there. So uh, my my hypothesis that uh, powerful tools are being shuffled away where they can't make things too easy, but will still be able to be pulled back for the big final fight is uh, gaining more traction in my mind. And it's interesting when like the big powerful tool isn't some like super weapon that gets stolen, you know, but it's a person that mm-hmm. needs to be gone for a while. Um, no, it's really cool. I, I'm trying to think of how she would have solved the, the Anglican arc. What, really what she would have done, she would have walked in with that meeting with Hyacinth and told Amaryllis, like, she's being totally honest here. Um, yeah. She actually is just sad and she is actually pregnant. And mm-hmm. uh, then she'd meet Rose Mallow. Oh, you killed Amaryllis's mom? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? And then she'd look at Onion and she'd be like, oh, you're planning to knock June out and go through his soul? And yeah. Right. I would have loved her to be in the room when they're playing uh, whatever that game was. Um, Dumbest Dentad. Mm, yeah i guess i still don't know she would have had to find some way to get around to the like attacking a pen drag thing but um i mean they would have walked in and she'd be like hey guys let's go like (laughs) (laughs) these guys are here to knock us out and rifle through our souls yeah this is is gonna go badly um you know hey go ahead and go ahead and go through my soul first i'll you don't even have to knock me out you know Um, (laughs) they just go completely pale yeah oh my god it's an Wait, what are they called? Uh, non-anima. I was going to say infernal. Um, Maybe they would seen it if she was eating a devil at the time. No, seen I an think infernal soul. I think we talked about that because uh, there was no real way to know if she was uh, currently in hell oh, or be- yeah. eating a devil. So it yeah, doesn't yeah, fill the right. soul slot. Ha! And uh, now Yaro isn't even a soul mage anymore. Ha! Although he's also dead. Oh right, he's he's super super <laughs> dead. Um, so he's double not a soul mage. Is there anyone who first was they killed st- him, then they excluded it? <laughs> Is there anybody who was a soul mage that we know that was left? No, I don't think so. Heshmel, yeah, I think, I think every might soul be dead. Mage. Yeah, I think every soul mage has been killed. Uh, well, that's good. And now, yeah. now soul magic is killed. So, yay! All right. <laughs> so uh, he 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 being June walks in on Raven and Amaryllis discussing what's going on next, and Raven has a theory, and Amaryllis is like, "Well, don't tell him; it's not going to work." And Raven is like, seriously, you think that we're not characters in this story, so whatever we discussed is safely hidden off screen? And the cool thing is, it was safely hidden off screen. We have no idea what they were talking about. Yeah, uh, you blew it, Raven. Um, (laughs) This was going to be another like, oh, yeah, we've got a cool thing like the artillery void bomb, you know? Mm. But no, now we got to tell them. So now it won't be this cool thing that happens. It's just going to be a thing that we know about. Um, Although that said, it, it... if the if the theory was the if she did fully lay it out and like didn't you know pivot to keep her real secret a secret mm-hmm. um the the go no go test is a it still works out but i also yeah. like i said i think i mentioned last week that i am hoping that amaryllis is cooking up a plan to get their money back from space she like, probably is you know some way to fake evidence and i had some good plan actually for this and i forgot it i had the plan this week and then forgot it subsequently of how she could have done that um, make a rocket well no that sounds like a lot of hard work i mean like a way to get june up there to get the gold back i mean maybe june could just argue with the the call and be like i'm gonna go get the gold now or i'm gonna stop being think, a gold mage like uh, i don't maybe i don't know i don't know how i don't know how much the call is a person that can be reasoned with you know or threatened or threatened yeah yeah you might be like, right but I think if there is one person on Erb who could be Erb's Elon Musk, it's definitely Amaryllis or one of her clones. Oh, totally. Uh, no, I mean, them getting to get it, getting it manually is totally on the table. It would just be nice if June could get it because it'd be the easiest for him to take him 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. 
But Amaryllis's plan that she was talking about with Raven was, yeah, this is a the, this uh, glassy fields thing would be a go no go test because uh, if they go there and they get a whole bunch more quests uh, and everything spirals out of control like it did with uh, scrutiny and speculations, or was it speculations and scrutiny? I think speculation well, and scrutiny. Okay, uh, then obviously we are not near the end of the story. We have a lot of shit to go through still. We are we are still on CD two of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if if there's nothing else there, it moves along relatively quickly. Then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we are we are sweeping up the side quests. We're gathering the last of our XP and gold pieces, and we're moving into the end game. Uh, and I think that was really damned good thinking. And I I, I don't have any any way to argue with that she's she's a smart cookie yeah no i mean it's it's as good as any plan possibly could be in this like if if you're trying to rig slash game this game from the inside it's mm-hmm. it's as good as it gets um you know the the dm having heard this or even just having known amaryllis did it off camera you know could open up 10 threads there and they'd be just a distraction you know mm-hmm. we actually are at the end of tape four or C, you know tape for cd4 but um I'm going to open up all these threads just to fuck with you. Oh man, that'd be fucked up. But that's, that's exactly, that seems super on the table, especially if they're talking about, you know, non-traditional postmodern storytelling, right? That's a good point. Um, but if the nothing got opened up and it was just an easy cakewalk, that at least would be a sign that they probably are near the end. Well, so and, the and a thing that might- basically, you know, has a big neon arrow pointing towards the Felseed exclusion zone is also a really good clue that yeah hey you guys should go there <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot more than they uh assumed they would get for a sign i loved it uh, it was awesome i think that they're oh because raven's bringing up like you know well luther talked about the this sort of stuff with whatever that book that he wrote um whatever like his last one that wasn't super popular the one about narratives or something um mm-hmm. And Amarillo says, it's conceivable for someone to, to disagree with Uther, isn't it? And, and as Paris has said, Uther and Juniper are playing under different rules, different framework. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how, you know, let's look at it from her religious glasses. How does she dare to second guess God's first chosen hero? <laughs> that sounds like blasphemy to me. I don't think so. Uh, especially if like she has read the Bible before. God's chosen heroes often fucked up and pissed off God. So. <laughs> Was there, so the, the, was there ever a hero that he liked that he didn't then turn out not to like later? Uh, Jesus, I guess, but he had it pretty according bad. To some, yeah, according to some people, Jesus was God anyway, so it'd be pretty hard for him to get pissed off at himself. Well, somehow he managed it. Uh, and he judged himself to be guilty of the crimes of people. And, but luckily, killing himself was enough to uh, redeem us slash him for the things we were born guilty of having done. Um yeah, I think that I think I got my my theology right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the the other funny thing is, you know, like it's I guess yeah, there's nothing, and I I made that up mainly as blasphemy, and I just like you know the, for the joke. But like, there's no way that that's even on Amaryllis's radar as a concern because you know she's friends with June, and it's like yeah, mm. this guy's fallible as all hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and and he's the true hero who's going to save the universe, but I can't trust him to like correctly report to me you know the time of day um right i can't trust him to stand watch over me right i can't trust him to allocate his skill points collect correctly like (laughs) fucking a oh man but you know right now he's superman he's living large it's great um Mm -hmm. he just he's and then he'll like take off with uh you know vibration magic to like dampen the explosion but he just like booms into motion it makes me think of neo from the matrix yeah 
Yeah, it was cool. So they're going to go. He got the he got the glassy fields quest like really early on, right? Mm-hmm. It was like when they were first, I think, trying like fishing for quests. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Like, what if we say enough things, will we get a quest, and then one of them triggers? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, this has been on the docket for a while. It which, was, yeah, it was one of the exclusion zones. I don't. Got I think it might have been exclusion zone quests. Was it or was it what is was it its own thing? Um, I'll double oh, check. Maybe? But okay. uh, the I'm. What's curious is if they went way back then, would he have found this little sweater or this whatever garment? I can't. I don't know what to call it. Or would he have found something else? Uh, I think he would have found it as long as he thought to look behind the wardrobe. I don't know. Maybe the DM didn't want to point him at the Felsi exclusion zone back then. I mean, he also wouldn't have known that this was a clue to the Felsi exclusion zone because he hadn't yet heard about this uh, this dimensional tunnel that Uther supposedly went in at the time. He would have, like, maybe afterwards clicked in his head, oh, oh my god, that a military uniform from Earth that we found, that's probably from this dimensional tunnel that people are talking about right now. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, and I think, where the hell is it? Sorry, I thought this was going to take me a second. Control F for the word glass. No, yeah, it's not in the 13 Horrors. It was before that. Okay. Yeah, so way back it was, in the day. Yeah, through the looking glass, through the lashing glass, rather. Mm. Uh, it's a castle coated in shards. Treasures within are unknown to the world, but you could unearth them if you dare. I haven't looked at this like spreadsheet in ages, and some of my predictions have uh, borne fruit, and others haven't. Really quick, June's mom will show up at some point. She did. Um, nice. Let's see. Fen has eaten a person, unconfirmed. Um, <laughs> The sun will never be explained, and Alexander doesn't understand it either. Uh, yeah, I never kept up with this. It was, it was too. It, you know, whatever. Friendship I say all the things. I'm not gonna. Work. Yeah, I think we tried it for like one episode where, like, you know, because I was making these things up on the fly, and then it's like, well, we can't keep pausing the show while I type. So, um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, so they've had this for ages. I didn't put down what chapter they got it, but I know that. Uh, um, Kaku Lycaim. Shit. Is that how? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm bad at pronouncing I'm, I'm not sure how it's pronounced but that's how it's spelled awesome well, i know that their spreadsheet has all the information on it and that's in the show notes so the real version of the good ones in there you can just stop putting mine in there um oh, okay <laughs> but uh, well, I, I gotta leave it in for this episode at least so people can go back and look at your predictions yeah that's right and they'll be like oh yeah these all suck um <laughs> all right so anyway he's flying on the way there and yeah and he's thinking about this dimensional portal to earth and he's like i wasn't going back to earth when it was all over with just complete dead set on that and i mean i hadn't really even considered it as a possibility for him but i I think it's a a solid indication of just how alone he felt on earth because like especially without all arthur if he just like has absolutely no desire at all to ever go back to earth means there was no one there that he cared about or at least cared about enough to give up this for um yeah i was surprised by the you know, if, if he was hemming and hawing on it and thinking about it for a minute, that would have been one thing. But in the finality of it caught me by surprise. Um, yeah, it was a bit startling. Yeah. You know, you're right. Like, it's it's not exactly a surprise. You know, if you'd asked me to guess, um, I wouldn't have been as confident that he'd be like, you know, flat. Like, oh, yeah, no way. Um, yeah. I've never really, really even thought that it was a possibility, really, that he could go back to Earth. I, I guess I always thought that, like, he wouldn't get a say in the matter. Um, mm. But I guess if I also thought he's going to be the DM, I don't know how I squared those two things. But I just assumed, like, when he was done here, this this place would dissolve or something, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, but if he's going to run the place, then that's obviously not that's 
not what's going to happen. The funny thing is he is at least honest with himself about the fact that his opinions probably largely helped by the fact that he's, you know, basically a God and he's got this super hot wife. Um, <sighs> and I think that he, he, I think he says something along the lines of like, even if I didn't have that, you know, the deck was still stacked in favor of Herb. And he's just like, yeah, this place is just cooler. And the main thing that makes me think that he doesn't realize how biased he's being is that he talks like Arab June loved his life here, right? Mm, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure if June was a millionaire with a hot empress wife on Earth, he'd prefer Earth. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, you know, no, he's a millionaire and a god and has a hot empress wife here on this place. So this is this is where he likes being, you know. No yeah. fault. I just think that he doesn't realize how much, like, it's not pure reason or aesthetic that's that's speaking to him. It's like, no, my life's fucking dope. Like, Arab June sounds like he had literally the exact same shitty-ass life that Earth June did. And I don't know, maybe if Arab June was transported to Earth at the same time that Earth June was transported here, like, maybe he made a cool <laughs> life for himself on Earth and is like, yeah, fuck that Arab place. I don't want to go back there. Earth is the bomb. I'm out here with, like, a decent job in software development and uh, I can watch TV and surf the internet and shit. This is awesome. There's no risk whatsoever being soul-raped, you know? Exactly. Like, there's... uh when the world isn't literally coming to an end right there's no void beast you know mm -hmm. coming for us um that should be nice to believe but i guess what i'm saying is that like you know you take june with the same starting conditions and june even says if he had just been some random average airbian that he, he would have preferred uh air on its merits i'm like yeah but basically you were and that person didn't seem to love it here you know yeah um maybe they did you may maybe have given the chance they would have chosen Arab. i don't know but uh, then again, yeah, that is that would maybe speak more to June, even when he was like, you know, angsty and and uh, depressed. Like at the end of the day, Arab is really interesting for stories, and June does like those. Yeah, but most people don't have any access to those stories because they don't have the amazing godlike skills needed to survive for more than five minutes. No, no, but like just a uh, you know, Arab. You get it's like on Earth we have all kinds of cool fiction. On Arab, they have probably lots of cool stories written down in books, but like they're loosely based on things that actually happened because Arab is full of magic, you know? Sure, but there's Earth is full of magic too in, in the form of technology and also lots of amazing stories that did happen here. If, uh, if, if you want to delve into history and historical fiction, it's uh, the average Arabian has basically the same life as the average Earth dude, right? Like they go to work, they try to find somebody to marry and uh, they... they eventually get old and die and hopefully had enough for savings so they can live in retirement for a few years yeah no that's a good point and uh it is just because i grew up here on earth that science seems mundane but <laughs> yeah you know flipping a light switch is fucking magic as far as i'm concerned so the fact that it's fully explained and understood doesn't make it less magical yeah um, it's like oh yeah no i can just control the power of lightning in order to create light anytime i want like jesus christ yeah, watch me just mystify, you know, the smartest people of 500 years ago. You know, mm -hmm. jaw dropped. Yeah, and I do that casually to get up and pee in the middle of the night. Like, it's nothing. <laughs> um, and you can just pee in your house and these flushing water will take it away. Yeah, you don't my, have to, like, have a pot that you cover or go out into the woods or some shit. My temperature controlled sound, basically soundproofed home. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, there there was, you know, he, he has a line and this just proves to me that this was the biggest and first clue of the story. Um, he says, if I had to go back like that to return to fifth period English class with a only a slowly fading memory of what had happened, it was a haunting thought. And he doesn't mention the note that he was passing, but he was passing a note in fifth period English. Yeah. What did it say? Who was he passing it to? 
who passes notes anymore? Nobody. Yeah. And especially since he'd burned all the bridges with all of his friends. Mm. That that note, that super significant, I swear. That is this book's like, you know, fraction of a, of a line, a hint of, of reflected silver, whatever, blood poured out in liters. That's this book's version of that. Okay. Yeah. I may be well, overselling it a little bit, but... I think there's something maybe, there. Maybe at the very end, the DM hands him that note and he finally gets to unfold it and read it and it throws everything in perspective. Help, I'm being pulled into a second layer of the Matrix. <laughs> Could be, you never know. I think I joked that earlier. I think that might be, you know, I, I don't get the impression from his flashback with the DM that like he actually had time to like scribble a note <laughs> you know, before he's pulled out. Yeah. But, you know, we'll find out maybe eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... So then he's going on thinking about Amaryllis' hypothesis of what they could find there and what it might mean. And he says, I try not to think about it because that way lay, if not madness, then at least a seven hour conversation with Amaryllis. (laughs) (laughs) Just getting close to madness anyway. A little bit. Um, So he gets there. It's the place is really cool. And it would be scary if this was early in the book, but it's not. And it's just merely pretty and fun. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And there wasn't one silver surfer uh, surfboard. There were four. Um, mm-hmm. And what's fun. So he says that wasn't a huge surprise given that I'd made them uh, made the item back on earth. It had been a set given to the party at too low, a, at far too low a level. Um, and so what's fun is that he got this quest, you know, at a much earlier level and they could mm-hmm. have been flying around this whole time. Yeah. I, so I just like that he, he mentions, Oh yeah, they got it at too early a level. And it could have been could have been him having having the ability to fly. You know, if only he'd gone after that quest. And you didn't put in anything about the the uniform they find. Like you're going to just brush past it, like it's not some giant throbbing clue. <laughs> well, I thought maybe you would have something to say about it. Okay, yeah. He he finds a wardrobe and it's empty, and he's like, "Fuck that! It's not empty because why would it still be here?" You know, I I do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he just he. I think he throws it or something and there's a, a a hole behind it and floating there is how is it described? It's got like um it wasn't an end tat, it's a uniform, consisted of a shirt and jacket with inserts at the elbows for padding. The vest was thick and heavy, armored, and it had pouches at the bottom of it, which had all been open. Um so it it seems like a military thing, mm-hmm. you know, except for one of the patches on it is it says uh corn squabble. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a corn cob. And then the other patch is the United States of, it's the flag of the United States of America. Um, yeah. so I, I, it seems like a military garment, but you know, unless there's some secret corn division that I'm unaware of, uh, I don't quite know what sort of outfit this is, but, but yeah, it's got a flag on it. That's, that's a big thing. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, since uh-huh. we get to get, since you were merciful enough with us to let us dive right into the next chapter, you know, I wasn't left to hold my breath for too long. Um, but my first guess was that just, you know, the DM put it somewhere for Uther to find just to fuck with him back in his day, mm-hmm. um, which actually they should just entertain as a legit hypothesis. Um, That's a good point, actually. But then you think Although could, the DM seemed to be much less of a fuck with the player kind of person back then. Unless he was actually Ravain, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Uther, I came back from, you know, that that mission you had me on and I found this. Isn't this weird? Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would think that if the DM were to hand him this shirt in one way or another, it would have had the high school logo or Kansas or something on it, right? Yeah. Does Kansas grow corn? Probably. Everywhere grows corn, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
post is the name of chapter one or two fifteen. It is, and I think the main reason I didn't pull out the uh, the uniform in the previous chapter was because I knew they were going to start talking about it in the next one. Totally, and uh, I was just going to pull that out. They they're talking about the uniform that he found, and June says, "Yeah, top theory is that someone from Earth came to Arab not through a dream skewer, but through some actual physical means." And if I had to guess what that was, then given this outfit, I think it's probably the one major campaign that I've never seen much sign of on Arab, the long stairs. And upon reading this, I'm a bit more shaky about the simulation hypothesis because like now it looks like Earth is totally real and people can walk back and forth between Earth and Arab. So like maybe they're both real and linked and like June's game overlay is something else entirely imposed by a god type being but but then i thought about it some more and like if air is a simulation then there's no reason it couldn't be linked to a simulated earth so probably still a simulation i just it it threw me off for a second to think that air is linked to earth because obviously a simulation can't be linked to real earth where people can walk between them but but it doesn't have to be real earth yeah like unless it's like the roy console at the mall but the thing is you don't bring your shirt with you when you play roy uh, yeah yeah it's uh, I don't know. So I, I had a few hangups on it, but like I, I, or I mean, we'll get there. No, no, no. Well, I'll explain. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is evidence that they're, you know, both Earth and Arab are simulations. Um, and Amaryllis doesn't like that fact. Uh, but or doesn't like that idea. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but the long stairs, because you know he's mentioned it enough times where it should come up, right? Um, mm-hmm. and. You know, it might have been on the edge of my brain at some point. Like maybe that's what's in there, but I don't think I actually made that connection. It just feels like the sort of thing I would have thought. Um, mm-hmm. But there was an episode of Adventure Time, which is essentially this, except it's like endless on purpose, and it it really is just like the numbers go up and you're addicted to it. Adventure Time, mm-hmm. the episodes are like ten minutes long. The protagonist is going through it, and it's just like a train car after train car. And there's like another monster, better loot, and then like his friend gets bored, so he's he's hanging out, and then he keeps coming through. Like as he makes more laps through the thing, and he's just got like bigger and dumber armor on, and he's like even stronger. <laughs> That's what I picture the long stare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the for me the the big problem, the big hole in June's theory here is that it doesn't explain how some rando in a vest made it, or I guess whatever in a uniform made it through this labyrinth that uther god killer pendrag has been working his way through for half a millennia mm. you know yeah yeah is this guy just really sneaky is that how he did it he <laughs> he snook uther, uther neglected his stealth skill he's got that amulet of you know fuck you i'm super super invisible um, it's true and this guy is just some mook from earth like <laughs> I, I don't care if it's you know arnold schwarzenegger from commando how the hell did he get through this thing but uther is being slowed down by it um yeah so it's interesting. Then, of course, you've got to wonder who that person could could have been. Um, and if there's like a portal on Earth, and they have some of these thoughts in the book, but like these are the thoughts I was having immediately was like, if there's a portal on Earth that you can just walk into, it would be a known quantity, right? Hey, not if the government's trying to keep a secret like in Area 51 or whatever. But it would be known to some people. Sure. Yeah. Somebody would know, obviously. Yeah. You, you would expect regular incursions into air to try and harvest it for resources or something right well then again i guess if it opens up into the felsian exclusion zone you'd never fucking know um and maybe i mean obviously they tried if they someone got through yeah and now that i think about it it could just be yeah in some basement in area 51 and they're like yeah no we tried going in there a few times every single time it was fucking massacre on the scale of which would you know we can't even write down because it was so bad like whatever happens in felsian zone 
Mm-hmm. So th- that's why it opens up there and not literally anywhere else on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep the damn U.S. government out. I mean, that actually makes sense. So, yeah. Amarillo says that it mm-hmm. can't go to... She just says it can't go to Earth. She does. And she says there has to be a higher level of reality. (laughs) And Jean says, no, there doesn't. Not when that's accessible to us. And that just threw me way back to one of our very earliest episodes where we were talking about Kratos and how he can literally never leave the PlayStation, no matter how much he asks us to let him leave. Because, like, your software, dude, there's nothing we can do. And, yeah, they could be in the same situation where they just they can't leave. Yeah, it's interesting because it shouldn't change anything for Amaryllis, right? I don't I get the impression she, she ever really a, cared about Earth. Not about Earth, but I think she wanted to get to a baser level of reality. I don't know. She seems to care about the people here, you know? Yeah, but I I, I, feel, I get the feeling she's like Neo or most people when they learn about the Matrix movies. They're like, yeah, of course I don't want to be in a simulation. Get me up to meat level space because that's the most important level. That's the level where you can turn off the simulation from, and I don't want to be turned off, so like, get me up there. I mean, I, I have that uh, you know sentimentality for like based reality, assuming that's mm-hmm. where I am. I've Whatever this one is, that's that's my favorite one. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I feel like Amarillo should be more pragmatic about it. But I think you're right. There's something about the idea that, no, this, I'm not, in the I, like real reality is, inaccessible to me i think so she says twice like i can't go to earth um Mm -hmm. and she's like so incredulous about this and it seems like her real objection to it being from earth is that she can't accept that they don't have access to base reality like yeah it it doesn't seem like she's just like no there's lots of other better explanations um i think we might be seeing her be irrational for the first time ever Ooh, i think it's the first time ever i mean maybe not but uh it's a good yeah it's it's pretty damn rare for her i can't Nothing comes to mind immediately. I'm sure if I sat down for a while, but no, that's a, yeah, th- this is certainly an out of character moment for her, or maybe a completely in character moment for her, seeing as how important this is to her. Yeah. And, you know, it's hardly like the most egregious lapse in judgment. It's just like, I think yeah. that, and, you know, she, she doesn't uh, not believe it because it's scary. She, but she doubts it because it's scary. I think that she's allowed to do that and still be, you know, super badass rationalist. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, uh, I think she would eventually come to accept it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I we're she's going to get the answers one way or another. I'm excited. Um, yeah, June does say as he's thinking about this that you know if if Earth is also simulated here, he's thinking, well, yeah, I guess I would prefer that uh, Earth had a nice, loving, caring God rather than no God at all. Come to think of it, or you know, the Dungeon Master as a God. And I guess he's thinking about himself possibly becoming God and uh, being able to do Earth as well. And he's like, oh, fuck. That would mean the Christians were right all along. (laughs) Because basically what Amrils is thinking, there is a single omnipotent God who created all of Earth. and, uh, and, And they were right, even if they didn't have his exact personality down. So at first I lolled, but then I was like, oh, wait lol <laughs> i'm not christians shouldn't have been right all along at least especially not by accident this is like this is some bullshit man it's the same thing with you know earlier you know with amaryllis's uh not propaganda honesty with you know raising the tongue it's like okay yeah you're right but um yeah you know, i think that uh, june is just he's reacting to christians in particular because you know that's what he grew up with but like you know everybody who believed in a creator is right then if this was the case um, yeah, and some are further from the mark than others. You know, the, yeah, that's true. The the nonchalant deists might have been more accurate. The um, you know, 
whatever. The Christian God doesn't wear hoodies with excellent dice puns on them and sneakers, yeah. right? Actually, the Mormons would have been pr- closer to correct than the other Christians since they believe that if you live a good enough life, you can become the God of your own universe, which is literally what June's about to do. The story is just like a, a great sell for Mormonism at the end. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the, the last line of the story is how you can contact your local Mormon chapter. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, but Raven does not seem to want to believe that the portal goes to Earth and Uther was trying to leave Air to go back to Earth. Because as she says, and it, I mean, it doesn't say how she says it, but like I just imagining her kind of heartbroken saying he'd have been abandoning billions i feel really bad for her because she she still has the hero glasses for uther even after all these years i still have the hero glasses for Uther, and i didn't yeah. even know him i totally get it you know um that said i have less of a hard time being disenchanted with you know some of his decisions than she does but i totally get where she's coming from you know yeah. as I, upon meeting june she just keeps finding more and more evidence of like wait he wasn't like perfect and you know this one of like he just left us all to go you know fuck ourselves are you kidding um Mm -hmm. you know maybe she's trying to rationalize with herself like no 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 he's going to earth to get some super weapons then he'll come back to save us (laughs) right (laughs) it's only gonna take him a thousand years uh yeah yeah i don't know um but amaryllis i like uh her response to that yeah she said that it's the hero's journey the final part of the monomyth is the hero returning home so uh i mean that seems an absolute finality to me because Uther was all about the hero's journey. It was in all his works. And if he wanted to finally get off this ride, he would have thought that the thing he needs to do is take the last step in the monomyth, which is the return home. So yeah, um, mic drop on Raven there. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, cause we talked about the portal going to earth and I, I never sat to consider the idea that like, no, he did that on purpose because he was sick of playing. And this is the end of every story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes you wonder, like, you've ever just tried dying. But maybe he did and it didn't work for him, right? Maybe it's just, just that's not Uther. No. Uther might be like uh, the guy at the end of um, Southland Tales where he's like, he's a pimp. And pimps don't commit suicide. Well, I don't think, you know, to, you know, just whatever, take a sideline capsule. I'm just thinking, like... It, it, even if he's been in the long stare for 500 years, maybe time goes different in there. Um, but mm-hmm. if it doesn't, he's been sitting there fighting solo for 500 years. He's got to be insane by now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of amazing that he didn't go insane when he was on earth or on air for 40 years surrounded by people. Uh, yeah. He's in there just fighting monsters this whole time. He's, he's going to have gone totally nuts, which I desperately hope isn't the case, which would actually be a huge fuck you from the DM. Um, it would like oh yeah no he's here but he's been crazy for 198 years you missed it like Mm -hmm. yeah that would be that'd be a drag um but yeah uh the timeline that raven puts together like makes it plausible um that no this could have come before you know it would have come before the felsey exclusion zone because it was uther's right um Mm -hmm. and felsey didn't show up to four years after Mm mm-hmm and she's like no you know and it's actually not that far from glassy fields okay yeah um uh it could have worked um yeah so yeah so so i guess they're gonna find out at some point but first they they still got to take care of this bullshit that's happening over at the necrolabrum exclusion zone business yes so they're back there they're talking uh they got valento and they're talking with um captain blue in the bottle I, i couldn't remember the rest of his name uh and Part of the logistics problem they're having here is that they can't just replace the humans with zombies. 
I mean, they can't just replace the zombies with humans. Uh, e- even if they could just swap in three humans for one zombie uh, working an eight-hour shift, since you know the zombies don't need rest, they just work 24 hours straight, uh, even three humans would need more things than zombies needs, like changes of clothes. They would need to use hallways to return home and have places <laughs> to sleep, which zombies never need. Like, just an amazing amount of how efficient these zombies are at menial labor is mind-blowing. And, like, they are so freaking useful that I feel I would be tempted to use them. And, honestly, this, the Captain Blue in the Bottle arcs feels more and more like a Malachian cautionary tale here. I think this is the true beware of capitalism thing uh, in the story. I think you're right. The other really, like, just fun thing about that, the example he gave about the hallways is, like, you know, if I'm thinking about it, oh, no, they'd need food and uh, um, bathrooms and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. But to zoom all the way out and say, no, they need hallways to go home yeah. because they yeah. don't live at their desk. Like, that is, uh, that's, that's I don't know, that, that's a level of, like, original seeing for that kind of scenario that mm-hmm. if you'd given me 20 minutes to sit there and list the things they would need, I never would have thought of that. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, it's just awesome. But... Uh, yeah, but now they got Val, and Val is quite the charmer. Hell yeah, she talks to him. She says, ever onward against the dark, which I believe was a Second Empire phrase. And she says, yeah, the dark's coming now, and if we manage to defeat it, it'll be for good. It'll be the final victory the Second Empire always dreamed of. The moralists, however, are distracted by this current crisis. And it seems totally like the captain is a true believer in the Second Empire here. I don't know why I pulled all that out, but it hadn't occurred to me before that he was... He was a massive Second Empire dude, but I guess it should have, all things considered, because he's just like, yes, efficiency uh, over everything and, and humanity is is not not a concern. Yeah, it hadn't occurred to me either, but I guess that's why uh, Val's playing up so much about like, oh no, Second Empire, you know, they were they were right and here's what's coming and um, mm-hmm. okay, so that's why it's working on him. Yeah, no, it, that, that makes sense. Uh, I think it's just... I mean, I was going to say it's because mainly we've had them only painted as Nazis, but he is pretty Nazi-ish. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there, there's distinct, there's distinctions, um, you know, because he doesn't really necessarily seem seem interested in world domination, right. you know? Even before he got excluded, I don't, I don't get the impression that's what he was aiming for. He just wanted to be, like, he wanted to be super immortal and to be the, like, whatever, like, the biggest, like, crux of, like, the Empire's, like, stability, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess is like world domination, but different. Yeah. It's it's different enough. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So so Val has been interrogating him, and she goes back to the group, and this really stood out to me when she's talking to uh, June and company. Uh, she's saying about Captain Blue in the bottle, he will do whatever it takes to extend his own life, and believes that when push comes to shove, almost anyone else in the world is the same. And then she adds, which is clearly nonsense, and. I don't know why those last four words are there. She could have ended it with, you know, he believes that everyone else in the world is the same. And end of sentence. But she added, which is clearly nonsense. And the only reason I can imagine to say that sort of thing is because you have to assure the people around you that you're talking to that you personally don't believe what you just said. That you're just, you know, relaying his opinion. So why... Who in the group does Val think suspects her of being a secret Nazi who actually does believe this sort of thing? So she has to disclaim it at the end to say like, oh, yeah, but no, no, but that's that's clearly nonsense, of course. Like, what's going on here? 
Who thinks she's a secret Nazi? I don't know, but I love your paranoia. Um, okay. I, d- I didn't read that far into it. You know, I, to me, it was just like, it, it was, it, I didn't notice it because I'm like, well, you know, clearly nonsense. Not everyone would, you know, yeah, I guess we wouldn't all do whatever it takes to extend our own life. But, you know, a lot of us would do a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, uh, you know, which is clearly nonsense. The only, um, the only piece of evidence against that, like being a slip up for her is that she's wearing devil glasses and doesn't make those sorts of mistakes. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, this wasn't something that she said by accident. She said this on purpose. So yeah, who is she saying this for? Cause not, you know, it wasn't like whatever verbal slip or verbal filler, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Probably, probably isn't June because he would have said so. So it's someone else. I mean, it's what Val and Raven and Grack that are there. Um, and I think Am- there's a copy of Amaryllis here, isn't there? Yeah. I I think, uh, like, I don't know. It it just feels like it, it, the next natural thing to say there. Um, but you're right. Like, if it if it's so obvious, which, it, you know, it's clearly obvious, then it's like, well, then why do you bother saying it? Um, especially, you know, Val, who doesn't, you know, waste words or syllables because she's too busy being the perfect, efficient, convincing machine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I do appreciate your paranoia, though. <laughs> Like if, if I was saying something like that guy over there thinks that 17% is the correct tax rate for everybody, which is clearly nonsense, maybe that would be something interesting to say, because then, then that is a thing that might be up in the air. Someone might think, huh, I wonder if Inyash thinks that that's the correct tax rate. But like, if I said, yeah, that guy over there thinks that all humans are made out of chocolate. Like I wouldn't (laughs) have to add, which is clearly nonsense to the end. It's just obviously clearly nonsense. I felt like she might've been moralizing at them. You know, like, I guess it's not clear then who she'd be trying to convince, but oh, like she's, oh, she thinks someone else in the group agrees with Captain Blue or that might be almost everyone in the world is the same. Yeah. And she's trying to point them, push them towards this is nonsense. Change your opinion to you, dumb noob. Right. Uh, oh, see, thank you. I'm glad I brought this up. This, this opens up another possibility. And it, it is interesting because, you know, when I, when I read that, like I said, I, it did jump out at me because I'm like, well, hold up a minute. You know, wanting to live forever isn't clearly nonsense. and um, But it's the whatever it takes. But, you know, yeah. so, some of us are going to spend a hundred plus thousand dollars of life insurance money and let some scientists put us in a in vats of liquid nitrogen. Um, yeah. You know, but we wouldn't send eight million children into hell. Not even if you could live forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I, you, right. I would never, you know. Yeah. Would, cl- clearly that's nonsense i've never endorsed that but um <laughs> uh, maybe she was saying it for june's benefit because june seems the one most likely to think that everyone else in the world is kind of that all humans are kind of shit i think it would be for amaryllis you think for amaryllis yeah, yeah. you're right amaryllis she, is the one who's most like that she's the one who would like totally be willing to trade lives see this is therapy for amaryllis too if only she were real she might she might be i hope she is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I just like fucking with you and with myself. Yeah. Uh, I love that we've gotten this far and like, I still don't know what's going on. It And like, I, that sounds sarcastic, but it's not. Um, mm-hmm. There's been enough interesting things going on that like the nature of reality problem hasn't been addressed yet. And like, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, have we fully addressed the nature of reality problem even in real life? Well, we don't have the same kind of fuckery going on here um that's that's true yeah yeah our, our problem seems all yeah different yeah as far as we can tell it, it, it this it is a very convincing simulation yeah and there's not one person running through with you know achievements and god powers 
Um, exactly. If that was the case, I'd have to seriously consider which church I'd go enroll in. Um, but I'd find we'd one. Have to find the yeah, we'd find the Amaryllis Church of of following June. Yeah, or or the Earth version of June. Elon yeah. Musk. Holy shit! It's all coming to light. Uh, as soon as he starts like flying or shooting lasers. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying without the aid of technology. If he does those with an Iron Man suit, I might still enlist in the church. Um, <laughs> but especially if he does it without an Iron Man suit. I want to see him glowing, floating, healing all his wounds and leveling up. I liked, uh, I think Sam Harris had a line somewhere in one of his books or something about like, it'd be so easy to prove the truth of the Bible. Like all we need, you know, Jesus could land on the White House lawn and be like, look, Mm -hmm. behold my magic powers. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, the the imagery of it is funny. Um, And I'm picturing Elon Musk doing it instead. Uh, (laughs) I mean, June does it all the time. Yeah, if Jesus was half as impressive as June, he could totally come do this on the subreddit. Like, who would win? I I'm not really on Reddit that much anymore. I don't know if they're still active, but um, once in a while, I'd be like, you know, who would win in a fight? And Jesus would be on like the roster of who, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they'd be like, yeah, his feats aren't actually that impressive, right? Like compared to like the other people you're pitting him against, right? Like, who'd win a fight between Jesus and Superman? Like, it's the only thing on Jesus Jesus' side is that like he's got magic unseen god powers uh, mm. but if we're just going by feats you know what he can multiply fish and get people drunk real easy like um but anyway i would say he's come back from the dead but like so has superman so uh yeah get in line that's 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 uh that happens all the time in, in, in comic books <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um so speaking of ridiculous shit this is i love yeah. this how did you feel about this <laughs> i I suppressed a groan and was mildly disappointed, but I guess it's as fair as various other things that have happened. It was so stupid that it was that it was really funny, right? Like, <laughs> okay, and, and the, I mean, I loved it. I think, I mean, it was a, the the pun is you know whatever. It's mainly because Philak isn't like a real first name, but um, mm. the June's logic that leads into it, and he's like, "Oh, this is going to be so stupid if I'm wrong or if I'm right." Like, check this out: the butler did it. And, uh, didn't, did I say something like when we saw him the first or second time, like this dude is, is in on this or something? You did say something at the second time he showed up, you were like, they, we've seen him twice now. This guy's important. If we see him a third time, shit's up. Okay, good. So this is the third time we see him too. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, good. I'm going to give myself a, you had your suspicions. I did. I certainly wasn't, you know, this far along because I didn't realize that Terrence was short or, you know, I knew that Terrence is long for Terry, but he went by Terrence and I thought it was his first name. And there's no way I'd have guessed his first name was Falak. But, um, well, no, his first name is Terrence. He just comes from a culture like Japan where you put the family name first. Oh, sure. Yeah. If you're if you're saying it the other way, though. So, but I, that's the thing. Is so June gets there. It's like the butler did it. What do you mean? Hold on. I got to go find this guy. And if I'm wrong, I'll explain. And then, hey, what's your last name? And then Amaryllis is like, fuck. Oh, fuck off. That's so moronic. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been my reaction. <laughs> oh, I mean, that that is the reaction. I think June even says that. Like, it's uh, like, you know, it's so stupid. It's almost funny um, or something like that. Yeah, but but it, it, I got the impression June was smiling the whole time because he thought it was funny. And I'm not sure Amaryllis was smiling. I, I got the same impressions. You're right. And I think it's only because June is capable of having a good time. Like the fact that the world works this way, you know, Amaryllis's first love interest was an anagram of June's first love interest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so she probably doesn't like this. You know, this this is more weird, uh, whatever. Like, 
reminders that like, oh yeah, I you guys are playthings. Um, but June is just like, isn't this stupid? This is the exact kind of dumb shit I would have thrown into the game. They walk mm-hmm. past this guy every day and they never asked his name, right? Yep. <laughs> if they just stopped to talk to Norman the doorman, then they would have <laughs> they would have learned uh you know, they, they could have they could have had this solve ages ago. Um mm-hmm. what's interesting, so anyway, uh Terrence the butler slash hand whatever, hand servant, whatever you call him. Um, he's got probably some version of a backup of blue in the bottle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unknown to him. Yep. Forged into his spirit. And they speculate that it's probably definitely true that this thing could just walk across the, um, the easy, uh, barrier, Mm -hmm. which would mean that like he could just send duplicates of himself everywhere. And, but he hasn't. Yeah. And it's interesting is that's Amaryllis's main complaint. And that was her thing with the doors is too. It's like, but if he just did the one obvious smart thing, he would win. Like, what the hell? And I think Val is right that like, maybe this process isn't perfect. Um, or at least June's missing APs. But if it's not a perfect duplication, he cares more about his perfect, like a, he'd rather have his like perfect fidelity copy um, be safe and secure than have world domination with copies that were 95% him. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't even care about like the the fidelity. Maybe it's just like he doesn't want to experience death, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like I don't care if I continue. I, I I'm not. He he wouldn't get in the teleporter, right? I think he's like worried about having a uh, a Doris problem where he he doesn't trust himself to cooperate with himself, and he doesn't want to start having to fight other versions of himself that are trying to take over the world in other places. That's possible. I would like to think that if you knew. You know, if Doris had 10 years heads up or, mm-hmm. you know, 100 years heads up mm-hmm. that she, this was going to happen, I would like to think that, that she was going to start being able to clone, right? Yeah. I guess you'd, yeah. you'd have to be really dumb not to, like, try to become the kind of person who could handle that, right? Yeah, but if you're smart enough to know yourself well enough to know that you would eventually defect against yourself, then you just wouldn't make a clone in the first place. Unless, again, it was your only option because your base self was dying. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like I would, I mean, you, you just buy enough how not to be a dick books and <laughs> like read them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Did you have anything else on this uh, chapter? No, right. I am done. It, it ends with uh, just kind of out of nowhere. The, there's gold near leave the complex now. Um, and he's like, well, that's gold, Colin. I got to run. And it's funny because like the DM wanted him here for this. And now that he's, you know, solved this puzzle, because again, the DM is the voice of the call of gold, right? I, it yeah, has I guess be. it would have to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's like, all right, June, you did your thing. Now I need you to go over here because this will be funny too. Um, <laughs> I think that's basically it. Yeah. And, it's, and I mean, how much does the DM control? Because basically Finch figured out that June is probably a gold mage. And so Finch came over here with some gold in his pocket so that June would have to come to him immediately like i guess it is very convenient that it happened right now but on the other hand like what did did the dm set all of that up the dm named this dude phil right or philak like oh well yeah you know that's true i mean (laughs) i I think that everything's on the table and frankly actually um finch is a good candidate for like i guess i think they had this yeah for dmpc but i think they even had this conversation when we were introduced to the term that like technically every npc is right Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. because well you know 
I go to town and I ask the fishmonger, you know, tell me about the history of this place and who answers it's June. Right. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, they all are, but you know, his, like he gets, he gets obliterated and then he gets shot in the chest and it's like, what's your power? Like, how are you doing that? He's like, Oh yeah, it's basically fuck you. I can't die. Like, um, yeah. that, that sounds like, a you know, that, that's, that's the beyond DM learned his lesson with Vervain. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that is beyond solace level of, of, of nonsense. Right. Yeah. And he comes and it's, I, you know, he had solved the puzzle of that June's a gold mage. It's not exactly hard to figure out what he's doing and match it to known powers. You know, gold yeah. mages are a known quantity. Uh, mm. That said, apparently it's illegal to become a gold mage. I thought it was legal to become any kind of mage without going through some major approval process. Oh, yeah, you're right. They're not allowed to learn. They're not allowed to self-teach. Yeah, you got to pay the accreditation schools. Right. Uh, they need their cut. Yeah. Anyway, bureaucratic melees. It's fun. We open up with uh, Amaryllis POV. Yeah. And there's a bit like when the other people show up where she's like describing their clothing and mm-hmm. it gave me non flashbacks of Wheel of Time. Some eyes glazed over. <laughs> um, but nice. what it did do is June literally never does that. Right. Yeah. I think he described Fen's outfit on their date and that's it. Um, yeah. So what I love is that the different characters have different voices, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a damn good point. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me. Yeah. It was, it was really well done. Even if it was like, oh, I don't want to read clothing, but Hey, June never talks about clothing. This is Amaryllis's point of view. And she does notice that stuff. Mm-hmm. Good anyway, call. Good writing. Yes. Regarding the tongue. Why are we, are we talking about tongue right now at this point? That's how it actually opens up. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I jumped ahead when I talked about the people showing up. I just wanted to say Amaryllis point of view. And Amaryllis flavored text. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, uh, it, it opens up talking about the tongue and it says that part of how the culture of the tongue had been structured was with a strong emphasis on community and the canon was a way of ensuring cohesion. And I just got to say, I really wish we had something like that in real life because I mean, that used to be broadcast TV as the cultural cohesion thing that everyone consumed. And I guess now the MCU is sort of taking on that role, but Yay. it's weak. I guess I guess Disney in general tends to is our cultural canon now, which actually is I, I believe I remember reading an article that said, you know what, let's stop having copyright law perverted and destroyed by Disney. Disney is basically the canon of our culture. It is our our cultural myths, our Bible. Just give Disney special exemption to have uh to to be able to keep copyright on their characters forever. And revert copyright law to what it was back in the founding times when it was not completely perverted. And, uh, you know, I thought that was both a good point and a good idea. Disney really does do a lot of our inoculation of us uh, into Western culture nowadays, or at least U.S. American culture. That's interesting. And you're right. Like cable, you know, we all used to only have access to the same things. Um, You know, while The Simpsons are on after work, everybody watches it. So, you know, that that was the, the... the cultural uh, pulse, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, um, and everyone talked about it the day after. Yeah. Now it takes something like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad to like break into a sufficient threshold of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a couple of years, it was Stranger Things. Um, mm. There was a great line on American Dad, because uh, I'm thinking this about Stranger Things, but like Steve, the kid, he's like, oh yeah, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, great show, worse every year. Um <laughs> Or it's getting worse every year. And he's right. Uh, the show was a lot of fun the first season. And uh, it's been getting less good, which is a drag. Um, but say, like, anyway, I saw a trailer for Stranger Things season, whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized like, I'm completely bad. over this show. Yeah, uh, I was kind of over it by the end of season two. 
Um, cause it showed me like, okay, yeah, you guys blew the good idea on season one and now mm-hmm. you're just running as long as you can with it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what they're going to do in the next season. Maybe it won't suck, but like, it just seems like it's puttering out anyway. That, I, that I, tends I, to happen with most series. They, they drag them on as long as they can to milk them. Yeah. It's, it's a drag because the best stories are the ones that like are planned and have mm-hmm. a conclusion and breaking bad will yeah. always be my perfect masterpiece example for that better call Saul will be that too because this is its last season um yeah. but like and they the, the writers know that because this is the story they wanted to tell um, yeah and that's that's what vince gilligan did with breaking bad he's like you know i've got this idea for a show i want to take five years to tell it like yeah and they're like you know once he sold it that was that was the thing um it wasn't like so i don't think well can you keep can you keep rolling for you know longer just because it's getting good ratings we'd like to have you back it's like no i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it awesome yeah you know exactly now they did do I a spin-off in a movie or whatever but like they didn't like keep running with the you know walter white stuff yeah i i don't think i mean better call saul obviously has not had nearly as much pickup even though i hear it's great um is there a series right now that is like those series is where everyone's watching them so i can't think of one at the moment got me either um i mean the mcu maybe uh yeah so most I know expensive gonna, tv show um exactly i know i'm gonna go watch uh dr strange even though I, I doubt it'll be as good as everything everywhere all at once but everyone's gonna be talking about it so i better go see it you haven't seen the first one i i from what i hear i don't need to i mean i like i, I, I know what not. happens in it i suppose the, the really cool thing and we'll we'll have this conversation another time but it the it's actually you're right it really doesn't matter um but <laughs> uh, there's a really, you, you've seen the, um, and this isn't, I don't know, spoilers friend of Dr. Strange. It came out 10 years ago. Um, the, you know, Dormammu I've come to bargain thing at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's beating this interdimensional giant superpower monster, not out of strength, but he's like, no, I'm going to trap you in a time loop with me and you're going to get so bored of it that you're going to, you're going to let us out and you're going to, um, you know, heed to my terms, which is fuck off of earth. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, Chosen getting killed 10 times maybe, but it's not impossible that he was in there for like a hundred years. Yeah. And that's why he shows up or that's why like, you know, why is the guy who just got here like, you know, the best wizard in the world? Well, because he had a hundred years of practice fighting a god. Um, like, Oh, he, he remembered everything? Yeah. They both remembered each loop. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. That would make you really good at magic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if Dormammu didn't remember the loop, then it wouldn't be punishment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea yeah, is like you're stuck in this 90 second loop with me, you know, hope you're having a good time. Um, yeah. So anyway, it was it was just a fun little thought. But then it occurs to me, you're right, that actually doesn't matter. Um, so I'm curious. I haven't seen the movie yet, the Doctor Strange one. I think I'm going to try and see it next week. Um, cool. All right. Thanks for indulging me. What were we talking about? Yeah. What's our current cultural thing? I don't know, man. There isn't anything that's got everybody. I think uh, Game of Thrones ruined that for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Fuck Game of Thrones. Oh. I guess the Mandalorian is the last thing I can think of where everybody was watching it. Mm. I'd be really curious to see the numbers, like yeah. compared to Game of Thrones. I guess it's a yeah, similar yeah. audience. You know, my parents didn't watch either of them, but that's that's them. Um, but yeah, I suppose everyone watched that. I don't know. It wasn't as big as Game of Thrones, definitely. No, I never had a Mandalorian viewing party. You know, like I did for Game of Thrones. Yeah, remember what like when that show was like before? It, it's it to me, it's just an amazing record of like how you can fuck something up so bad that you've just totally ruined its entire legacy. Mm-hmm. Like it was so cool for a while. And like in just a few short episodes, they managed to completely just 
make everyone hate all of it forever. Yeah. Which is a drag. They tanked it hard. Mm-hmm. They're doing like a prequel series. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think it's a few generations at least before um, the Game of Thrones series. Okay. It's not like the Lord of the Rings one that they're doing, which is like, I don't know, 5,000 years ago or something. Mm. So, yeah, they're just going to like, I guess, why even do Lord of the Rings if you're doing it 5,000 years ago? I Just name recognition. You get to go back to New Zealand. Yeah. Like, I guess. I don't I mean, know. The trailer looked it, super CGI. I don't think they go anywhere in that shit to film that. Yeah. Okay, we've indulged. Anyways, getting back to, yeah, what we're talking about. uh, Amaryllis is um, confronted by these guys who are like, uh, you got no jurisdiction here. You got no power here. And Amaryllis is like, oh, really? (laughs) I hereby declare this to be our colonial territory pursuant to section whatever and grant myself full power as colonial governor. Necro Laborum is now a formal part of the Republic of Minion, which is an imperial non-member. And it is you who have no authority here except on my say-so. Eat a dick, motherfuckers. Which, <laughs> the last part was added by me, but that was just fucking awesome crowning moment of glory stuff right there. What's great is like, you know, it's because we like her and we're on her side. If they pulled that on us, it'd be like, what are you kidding me? Slap them. <laughs> um, but it was so well, satisfying mean, also, when she did it. It was. And also because like they they have authority here literally because of right of conquest. They conquered the place. And if you want to have authority, well, you got to fight us first. And we already showed that we can take over Nicola Borum. We'll fight you back. But she's like, you know what? I'm going to make this all official and stuff because I know the official bullshit that says I conquered this place fair and square. If you want it, you're going to go to war with me over it. And that was awesome. Right. And they're recognized by the empire, but they're not part of it. So they yeah. can, they can do their own conquest. What's great is I think it's a it's a trinket. It's a something that she's wearing that lets her remember all the bullshit laws and stuff. Oh yeah, the the pedant's pendant. Yes, exactly. Um, so like she, we can be we can be sure that she actually cited like the correct uh, documentation, right? Yeah. Um, and then I think June had that perk back when he had social skills <laughs> that was like. Uh, you can remember like specific things or something. Um, oh, that came with logistics and logic though. Uh, there was some social thing where like he could remember stuff, but yeah, this, this, uh, pedant, pedant, pendant, that's a tongue twister. Um, yeah. So she, she's able to just recite all of this off the top of her head. It was awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was great. And June finally shows up because Figaro is holding that gold coin and fucking the call of gold just tells him, take the gold. <laughs> and he's like, uh, uh, Figaro, can I talk to you for a sec? And Figaro's like, oh, yeah, no, we can, we can talk right here. And the call of gold says, take the gold now. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, does Superman have to murder a dude in front of everybody to, and, and take this gold to keep his powers? Like, it's going to start an international incident. Plus, we like Figaro, like... God damn it! It it to me it was really intense, and I also noticed that like at the when we were reading, Figaro lit up a cigarette just before this happened, and like I kind of thought maybe that was to prime us to associate the intense craving for gold with the intense craving for cigarettes. But also, I'm not sure what percentage of readers like are smokers or ex-smokers, so I'm not sure if it would work with all that many people. But or if this was entirely a coincidence, it just, to me, like just that, that feeling of like, Oh, I need this thing right now. It's like, Oh my God, that's, I know that feeling and it sucks. And Oh my God, why are you doing this to my hero, Alexander? I, I, I love that connection. I, I mean, I don't know what it's like to write something. So I don't know if anything can be an accident, but 
Oh, yeah, I totally can. I mean, why have him light a cigarette, though? Uh, just because it's a cool thing to do for a guy that's just chilling and thinks that, you know, he's hot shit. It is. And that that's how I read it. Um, mm. And it, the other thing is, you know, June shows up and the voice is like, the gnome has the gold. Get it from him. And Finch looks over like with a, with a slight grin. Like he, he already knows like why he's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he brought gold on purpose just to have June come say hi. Um, mm. There was something about the cigarette, too. Like it's just something like he started the process of lighting one or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what process? <laughs> Do they? I don't know. Maybe they don't have matches. I, I'm pretty sure they don't have lighters. They might have like Zippo lighters. You're telling me making mm. fire. He began going through the process of lighting it up. You're telling me making fire is not a solved problem on air. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, maybe he's not a blood mage, but you know, there, there's there's got to be something that you can buy. You know, you can. An uh, ink mage you know, can make it a, could, this is good for 10,000 charges, makes a little flame, you know? It could be an old style cigarette. Like the the newer ones have um, little gunpowder rings in them to keep them burning evenly and help them light up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the older stuff that was just paper and tobacco was a bit harder to get going. So maybe it's that kind of kind of cigarette they got. Oh, yeah. Or like a cigar too. You know, you've got to mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, hit it while you're lighting it. That could be it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, anyway. they're very much, yeah, much more like uh, just little cigars down there. Yeah, which I guess is literally what cigarette means, little yeah. cigar. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'll it was done. a clue all along. Um, <laughs> nice. So, no, I just i I like that they're you know I liked your connection that you drew there, but I, I just loved the you know Finch knew what he was doing, and that's probably why mm-hmm. he came. You know, mm-hmm. um, and he's like, oh, <laughs> you want this? You're looking a little pale, <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, June has to have been in proximity to gold, right? And apparently the thing can just tell him where gold is, which I didn't know it could do. Yeah, uh, it feels like it's got a little gold radar or gold detector or something based on proximity. Yeah, I thought that it was like, you know, hey, I want another pound of gold. You got like an hour to get it to me. Fuck, okay, I'll go figure it out, right? Um, mm-hmm. But no, it's like, it's over there. It's in the gnome's pocket. Get him. Um, <laughs> then again, June could have grabbed it, ripped him in half, and he would have just shown right back up there, right? It's true, but still would have been bad form. Oh, yeah, it would have. It's just not good optics. Um, but the uh, maybe maybe he wanted to summon June here because he was curious, you know, like, hey, where is the gold? And also they have like, what, 100 million obols or something? And uh, yes, of gold. Yep. Yeah. The, the question that they're asked by one of the people there isn't like, how is that possible? But just why? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I had to kill some dragons. Yeah, isn't that great, though? It's just like, <laughs> not even, oh, no, 100, yeah, 100 million ovals. And no one's like, you know, well, how'd you do that? That's impossible. But just like, but why, though? Like, that is overkill, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, where is it? Nunya. And that sounds like a place, but I knew where he was going with this right away. Mm-hmm. Nunya business. <laughs> <laughs> I like Superman uh, June. I think that, you know he's he's having fun you know how often do you get to be superman and fly he and i think he it put him in a good mood and that makes puts me in a good mood cool yeah but yeah at, at the end of the chapter he gets uh bossed around by the call of gold again to be like yeah no okay the, the, we've set up the scene with these guys we've scared them shitless with how big of a humanitarian crisis this is now i need you to go over to Parasip's horde so uh june rockets out of there interrogate amaryllis on lyric on the location of Parasev's vault God, does it have to be so fucking aggressive? Yeah. Interrogate Amaryllis like this, man. Yeah. It, like a chill. It, it could just be like, 
you know, hey, check with your wife and see if she figured out where this, where these books, again, where this book collection is, you know, tell me, you know, Call of Gold, how are we going to turn that into money? You know, like, I guess books are are worth more than literally nothing, but you're telling me that that's the best use of our time? No. If they're rare first editions, like, what if it's a a book that Uther penned with his own hand, you know, that could probably be worth a lot of money to collectors. It's going to be exactly shit like that. That's why, that's why we're going there, right? Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. The, you know, just like the whatever the shirt that they found in the glass uh exclusion zone um why are they going to parasev's vault of books because one of those books is going to be you know super uh plot relevant yeah but there's only one way to figure out which book that will be and that's by reading the next four chapters yay four yeah and those chapters are 217 through 220 uh, by name, they are 217, A Dragon's Roost, 218, A Grueling Calm, mm-hmm. 219, Homecoming Part 1, and 220, Dosen. Hmm. I mean, Homecoming. Oh, I, I was going to say, you know, that, that sounds like an Earth sort of thing. Um, but it will be really funny if it's Bethel coming home. Mm-hmm. Homecoming. Right, right, because the home is coming home. Exactly. Yeah. And a docent, I didn't hear the term. It's a title at some European universities, special appointment with academic ranks. Okay. Associate professor. Um, all right. Well, Dragon Druce, that means we're gonna be we're gonna get that super plot relevant book immediately. I'm stoked on it. Nice. All right. Well, uh please join us in next week for that. Uh what is it we usually say? Come come give us money on our Discord. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> interrogate your your wallet and then give some of that over to us if you're so inclined uh you can do that um i think we i don't know if we said at the top but 15 percent of anything you donate to us goes straight to alexander wales you can skip the middleman go straight to him and buy his by giving him uh patreon money or buying his book or both why not uh Totes. or the hot you know go for the hat trick give us all money um and uh Thank you again to Alexander Wales for making this fun game so we can play it as Godman or Godbode Superman. Hell yeah. All right. See you in a week, everybody. See you.